I want to again begin by stating that June and I miss meeting with you so very much. We miss greeting you at the doors. We miss the hugs, the handshakes. We miss the smiling faces. And we look forward to the day when God gives us the ability to gather back together again. This past week, I was meeting with several preachers, and a question was raised. Do you think people will get so used to staying at home that when we start meeting again together, they won't have an interest in coming back? And the overwhelming response of the preachers there was, oh no, I think what people are experiencing is the same thing that June and I are experiencing. We miss you, and we look forward to, that, to the day that we can be back together with you to praise our Heavenly Father. I now understand more than ever before why he asked us together to remember Jesus and to encourage one another. We're continuing our series called His Story. Subtitled, this is My Story. And what we've been doing this year is looking at 52 texts that help to frame the story of Jesus. I've used the illustration of the way you put together a large puzzle. You begin with the smooth sides that frame the puzzle. And that's what we're doing this year in our series on his story. Looking at 52 verses that help us frame the story of Jesus, which of course is also our story. Last week we looked at Micah 6, 8 where Micah boils down what it was that God was calling both Israel and Judah to be in his day. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? And then he tells us these three things. To act justly and to love mercy. We talked about how the Hebrew word there is kesed. A word which means God's loving kindness, his covenantal love, his mercy shown to us. And then finally, to walk humbly with our God. Today's memory verse comes from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah happened to prophesy during the same time frame that Micah did. Uh, he prophesied for probably over 50 years. And our memory verse comes from a section of the book of Isaiah of where Isaiah begins to talk about the Messiah in great detail. You see, Isaiah is oftentimes described as the fifth gospel because it makes so many predicament, uh, predictions about who Jesus would be and what he would do for us. Here in Isaiah 49, verse 6, we have one that really framed Jesus' life when we come to the New Testament. God is the one speaking here. And here's what God said. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and to bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. I love this text. Because you see, you and I are in this text. We're the Gentiles that Jesus became a light to show God's salvation to. And here we are gathering this morning, this Lord's Day. Why? Because that light has shone on us. 
You know, Isaiah received his call from God in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. The text says, In the year that King Uzziah died, which was around 742 B.C. And so you're talking about 2,000, over 2,700 years ago. And Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and, lit and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. He goes on to describe seeing angels surrounding the Lord. These seraphim who sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. A song that 2,700 years later, we continue to sing. God would go on to ask a question, who shall we send for us? And Isaiah would gladly volunteer and said, here am I, send me. Another text that's been turned into a song that we sometimes sing. Well, Isaiah would prophesy for 50 years during first the exile of, of Israel into Assyrian captivity and then foreseeing the exile of Judah in Babylonian captivity. In Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah looks way down. He, he, he's looking 300 years into the future. And he's looking at what Israel would be like when she came back from Babylonian captivity. Here's what God says. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. He goes on to say that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Judah was supposed to be the, the kingdom that continued the line of David, but David's descendants had proven not very faithful to the Lord. And so here's the Lord saying, I hope that I can bring you comfort now as he looks forward to the coming of the Messiah. But you know, as you read further in chapter 40, you find that what the Lord wanted of the Jews is not what the Jews thought of the Lord. Isaiah 40, 27 and 28, and this is out of the message, Eugene Peterson's uh, version of the Bible, but I love the way he words it. Why would you ever complain, O Jacob? Or why, Israel, saying, God has lost track of me. He doesn't care what happens to me. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening, God? Even though the Jews had spent over 70 years in Babylonian captivity, they still refused to listen to God, complaining that he wasn't listening to them. But Isaiah goes on from here to give hope, hope that is as desperately needed today as it was 2,700 years ago. You see, Israel was supposed to have been God's servant for the sake of of the nations. God picked Israel as his people, not because she was better than everyone else, it's that because she was least of everyone else. But he wanted her to be an example to the nations to draw the Gentiles back to him. But Israel had failed. And because Israel had failed, God chose to pick another servant. One individual they called him the Messiah. We call him Jesus. 
in beginning in Isaiah chapter 42, you see this announcement of God's servant who had come to rescue his people. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I de delight. I will put my spirit on him. And you know, all we have to do is turn over to the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and we read about the Spirit of God when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, coming down and lighting upon him. He goes on to say, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will justify us, those of us who are called Gentiles. He goes on, and boy, he describes this beautiful image of Jesus. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and, and will make you, notice this, will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Isn't it interesting that every Lord's Day, we pause to remember this covenant, the covenant that Jesus made for those of us who are Gentiles, who now have the opportunity to walk in the light. He goes on to say to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. You know, when Jesus would go to Nazareth, he would ask for the scroll of Isaiah on the Sabbath day. And what he would do is he would read from it a text very similar, Isaiah 62, 1 and 2, predicting what he would do for the people of Israel. And so when we come to Isaiah 49, where our memory verse is from today, we have the beginning of this incredible picture of what Jesus would both be and what he would do for us. He begins with this verse, listen to me, you islands. And by the way, Jesus is actually speaking here. He's the voice behind this prophecy. Hear this, you distant nations, which of course would be us. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. We remember how that before Jesus was even born, how that God had told both Joseph and Mary through the Spirit to name him Yeshua, or as we translate it, Jesus. Yahweh's salvation. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword, and in the shadow of his hand he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. In other words, he gave me everything I needed. You know, if you're going to go to war, you better make sure your sword is sharpened, and you better make sure that your arrows are polished. And Jesus says that God prepared me for battle against Satan. He then said in verse 3, He said to me, God the Father said to Jesus, You are my servant. You are Israel. Yes, he had chosen you know, the descendants of Abraham, those 12 tribes, but they had not lived up to what God had called them to be. And so now he calls a new servant. And he calls Jesus Israel. And notice what he says, In whom I will display my splendor. And so we get down to verse 6. And, and once again, having described who Jesus is as, as God's servant, God then says this about Jesus. He says, 
It is too small a thing for me to be, for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. Now, did Jesus do that? Of course he did. When Jesus came, he, he came to the household of Israel. The Apostle Paul would preach about how in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God's salvation. First, to the Jews. In other words, Jesus came to call both Israel and, and, and Judah back to God. But the Lord said, you know what? That, that's too small. I'm doing something far greater than that. He says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You know, that concept of light becomes a way of framing Jesus' life in the Gospels. In fact, we'll see this very verse quoted several times in the New Testament. The first time is found in Luke chapter 2. Jesus has been born down in Bethlehem of Judea. Joseph and Mary take him up to the temple in Jerusalem in order to dedicate him to the Lord. This is a few months prior to, to Herod trying to take the baby's life. When they got to the temple, they would encounter two very aged uh, Israelites. One would be a woman by the name of Anna. And she would come up to them and testify as to how Jesus was, in fact, the answer to God's promise of redeeming Israel. But another uh, individual that they encountered was an old prophet by the name of Simeon. Simeon had been given a very special promise. He had been told that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Now, I don't know how the Holy Spirit revealed that to him. I don't know if he heard it or saw it in a dream. I don't know if the Spirit put it in his heart, if, if it spoke to him directly, as the Spirit sometimes did. But he had been told, you will see the Lord's Messiah. And seeing Mary and Joseph and the baby there at the temple, the text says that Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Can I ask you a question? What kind of man would live such a godly life that God would make him that specific of a promise? You will see my salvation. And what comfort it brought Simeon's heart when he held the baby Jesus. But listen to what he goes on to say. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations. And then he goes to Isaiah 49, verse 6. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. It's not enough just to reach Israel, God says. My son will reach the, the nations themselves, the Gentiles themselves. You know, John would, would pick up this theme of Jesus being light because he simply heard Jesus speak of it so often. You know, nearly all of us can quote John 3, 16, perhaps even verse 17. But verses 19 through 21 grabs this image of Jesus as the light of the world. 
Listen to what John writes. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Isn't that true? Do you remember when you were a kid and you would do something you're not supposed to do and how you would hide it? I remember when I was, I don't know, probably the second and third grade. I loved when I got through at church to go out and play chase with my friends in the church parking lot. On more than one occasion, I would slip and in slipping would tear a hole in the knee of my trousers. Mama had finally told me she was tired of having to buy me pants and that I'd better not rip another pair of, of pants. And she bought me a brand new pair. You can probably guess it. The very first Sunday I wore them to church, I was out running around in the parking lot, slipped and fell and tore my trousers. I mean, you immediately feel that shame because you know your mother's going to find out about it. You know that when she goes to wash your clothes, there's that tear in that brand new pair of pants. You know, light has a way of, of showing uh, and, and, and demonstrating the deeds of darkness. He goes on in verse 20, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. To walk in the light is to walk honestly before God, recognizing that, you know what, we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God and are dependent upon His grace for our salvation as found in His light called Jesus. You know, twice in the Gospel of John, Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world. This is John chapter 8. This is right after the story of the woman who had been caught in adultery and how that Jesus had said, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone and then told her that, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. He then announced to the people, notice, when Jesus spoke again to the people, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows in me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Uh, life, light of life. That word life there is, is the Greek word zoe. It's that special word that John uses to describe eternal life. Is found in walking in the light of Jesus. You turn literally one chapter to John chapter 9, verse 5, and when Jesus encounters a man who had been born blind, and the disciples ask him, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, No one sinned. This has happened so that God might be glorified. And he says, While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. I'm the one who helps people to see. And, of course, then he heals this man who had been born blind. You know, Jesus, as he looked down past when, when he would go to the cross and be raised again and ascend back to the Father, he wanted his disciples to realize that just as he had been the light of the world, we, too, have been called to be light. 
one of the most sobering passages is found in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, Jesus says to us, to those of us who have chosen to follow him, you are the light of the world as well. He says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. One of the things Jesus is trying to get across in these two verses is that you cannot be a follower of Jesus in secret. I know of a brother who was working with, with inmates in, in the prison, and he had developed a friendship with a man who was the leader of one of the gangs in the prison. You know, a lot of our state and federal prisons will have gangs that operate within them. And this particular prison was a pretty tough gang. And this man was the leader of it. But somehow, God had, had presented his word to him, and he had become convicted. He went to this brother and asked him a very serious question. He said, is it possible for me to be baptized without letting the members of my gang know it? And the Christian said to him, no. You can't be a Christian and hide your light under a, a bowl. You can't be a city and not shine with the light that come from a city. I don't think the man ever was baptized because of his fear. Even though he was the leader of the gang, he feared that gang. You know, Jesus would go on to say to us, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me say something very important here. God calls us to a different way of living. He doesn't do that so that we can look at ourselves and say, look how much better we are than everybody else around us. That's not what he's doing at all. If you think that, you've forgotten the last thing that God required of us from Micah chapter 6, which is to walk humbly with our God. But he calls us to live a life that's different from the way of the world for a reason. The world is filled with evil and with evil people. I remember many, many years ago seeing a, a news story where something tragic had happened and I asked my father at that time, and, and my dad was just an awesome, faithful child of God. And I said, Dad, how could someone possibly do that? And here's what my dad said that I've never forgotten. Why does it surprise you that evil people do evil things? And you know, I think sometimes that shocks us and it shouldn't. Jesus wanted us. He wants us to set an example by good deeds. That's what Jesus said there in the Sermon on the Mount, that they may see your good deeds. We need to set an example by good deeds as a testimony to the world that there's a better way to live life. And of course, that life is Zoe life. It's eternal life. You know, the Apostle Paul would take that same image of light from Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. Here's Paul during the first missionary journey with Barnabas. And notice what he says. This is in Antioch of Pisidia. 
He says, we had to speak the word of God to you first. He's talking to the Jews in the local Jewish synagogue. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. We turn to the nations. And then notice what he quotes to justify that. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. Aren't you? I know I am. I'm glad that God not only gave Israel a chance to be restored to him, he gives us Gentiles a chance to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Paul would become the apostle to the nations, to the Gentiles. And I love what Paul said in Ephesians as, as he writes this letter about what God has done for those of us who are Gentiles. Here's what Paul says beginning in uh, verse 8 of chapter 5. For you were once darkness. All you have to do is turn to Romans chapter 1. Go toward the end of that chapter and you'll see just how far the Gentiles descended into sin. Paul says you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And then he says, you know what? There are going to be characteristics. There's going to be fruit that you bear if you're following Jesus and following the light that he gives us. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. We're not exposing them because we want to make everyone look bad. We simply want to show them a better way of living. One of the things I love about the Apostle Paul in this letter to the Ephesians, going back to chapter 4, a few verses before this, is that Paul contrasts the difference between living in light and living in darkness. And it's a contrast that I'm afraid some Christians today don't realize should be a part of who they are. Notice some of the things he says. Chapter 4, verse 25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Lying was part of the ancient world. In fact, Paul would say to Titus, you know what? There's a saying that says all Cretans are liars. And he said, you know what? I'm beginning to believe that. Here's Paul in his letter to the Ephesians that says, you know what? Those who follow Jesus will, be, will speak truthfully to one another and to their neighbors. They'll not speak lies. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. You know what? He acknowledges that we, even as followers of Jesus, will experience the emotion of anger. But he says, guess what the difference between the way we experience anger and the way that those who walk in darkness experience anger? We don't sin. We control that emotion. He goes on to say, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. You know, we're living in a time where there's a lot of people in need. 
People literally, you watch the news and, and they're backed up in their cars for literally miles trying to go through food banks just to get something to eat. We need to be a people who are ready to help. And by the way, let me say this. If you know of anyone in the Hendersonville community who's hurting in any way, please have them to contact us. You can go to hendersonville.org. There, there's a site there for you to fill out a form requesting help if you need help. Please don't hesitate to call us. God's blessed our church. We have those who are ready to assist. Let us know how we can. That's what it means to walk in the light, as Jesus is in the light. He goes on to say something that you probably have noticed as much as I do. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You know, we live in a world where... Cursing, as at least I grew up calling it, has become commonplace, even at the highest levels of, of our government. You can't turn on the TV and hardly watch a program that's not filled with filthy language. Here's Paul saying, you want me to tell you how you can tell the difference between darkness and light? Listen to what comes out of their mouths. And by the way, let me just say a word here. I know of Christians people who claim to follow Jesus as the Messiah, but who somehow think that using foul language is a freedom that they have in Jesus. It's not. In fact, if anything, Paul says it's a sign that you're still walking in darkness. He says, only let that which is helpful for building up others according to their need, that is, that it may benefit those who listen. We need to be people who control our tongues. He goes on to say, get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and brawling, slander and every form of malice. Instead, we need to be people who show how to be kind, compassionate, and forgiving of one another. He would finish in Ephesians 5.18 on the other side of the text about life by saying, don't get drunk on wine but be filled with the Spirit. You know, you're going to have something that influences you. It can be alcohol, or it can be the Spirit of God. And we as Christians need to choose the Spirit. You know, Paul wasn't the only one who focused on this theme of light. We mentioned how that John did it back in his gospel. He does the same thing in his little letter we call 1 John. And I want you to notice the distinction he makes between light and darkness. This is the message we've heard from him and declared to you. God is light. There it is, just as simple as it can be. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. And then he speaks to us. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie, do not live out the truth. Now let me say something important here. He'll go on to say that doesn't mean sinlessness. In fact, anybody who claims to be sinless is a liar, and they're walking in darkness. What he's talking about, though, is that the upward trend of our lives should be one of less darkness and more and more light. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And notice what takes place. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us. 
It continues to cleanse us. The more we walk in the light, the more like Jesus we ought to look. He would go on in the second chapter, and he says, Yet I am writing you a new commandment. His truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing, and the true light is already shining. In so many ways, John is describing what should be happening in you and what should be happening in me. We should become people who there's less and less darkness and more and more light shining through our lives. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. And anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. I love that last phrase. How that if you're going to walk in the light, you're going to have to live in love. You know, during this difficult time that we're living in, if there is one way that we can show that we are the people of God, it is first of all to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We, we memorized that verse just a couple of weeks ago. But it's also to love one another, to love the brothers and sisters in Christ that we have. Can I encourage you just to pick up your phone? Maybe just jot a little note. I know many of you are doing it. We've received so many kind notes here at the office. June and I have received kind words. People have expressed their love for us on the internet. Uh, we get phone calls. We appreciate it so very much. We're trying to return the favor. I appreciate our elders who have reached, reached out to their sh sheep and their shepherding groups to say, you know what? We're here for you. Let's learn how to love one another. And you know what? If absence makes the heart grow fonder, I hope after this absence, we will love one another more and deeper than we ever have in the past. And then there's to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Many of our neighbors are suffering. And if you know someone is suffering, step up to the plate. Be God's light in their lives. Love them and show them by being there for them. God bless you this week. I pray that the light of God will shine in and through you. And that the Hendersonville Church of Christ can truly be a city set on a hill, shining, and by our good deeds, helping people to glorify the God that we serve. You know, and, and I've mentioned this at the end of several of our lessons, while the building may be closed, the baptistry never is. I heard of a, a person making the decision this last week, right in the middle of the pandemic, to become a child of God. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, turn from the darkness into the light, confessed him as Lord, and then joined him in the waters of baptism. You can. Just give me a call. I mean, we'll figure it out. Uh, if you would like someone else to baptize you, give them the call. Call, you know, one of our elders. We're here to help you in this journey we're on together with God.
May God bless you richly this week.